1: That song, Give Thanks, reminded me that, you know, God puts us on this earth for a period of time, and the whole time we're here, He's trying to bring us into truth. He's trying to bring us into truth that is an ever-present reality. Even before we're saved, before we enter into the truth, He is working constantly. He uses everything around us. He uses the circumstances of our life. He uses the people around us to bring us into truth. Now, how many of you here believe in gravity? Now, if we all decide in this room not to believe in gravity anymore, will gravity cease to exist? No. What will happen is that we will operate outside of truth. But believing truth doesn't make truth truth, does it? But, not believing truth doesn't make truth truth either. The reality of it is this that Christ is working in your life to bring you into the fullness of truth. That is what the maturity of the work of the Spirit of God in your life is, is that is taking place on a regular basis. When he says, give thanks, He wants you to give thanks not because he's up there feeling sorely abused and needs to be encouraged. He wants you to give thanks so you can enter into the reality that everything that you have comes from his hand. That he is literally holding you together. That he is sovereign over your circumstances. That he has created your life and put a plan in your life so that in all things, it'll work together For the good of bringing you into truth. That's the good of it. When he says rejoice in the Lord, he's not saying that if you rejoice in the Lord, you'll have reason to be joyful. He's saying rejoice in the Lord because you have reason to be joyful. When he says that I am the way, the truth, of the life, he's not inviting you into believing something about him. He is literally inviting you into who he is. And we're in him. And he is truth. So wherever you are right now, the issue is not whether or not to believe that he is real. The issue is whether or not you will choose to believe he is real. Because you know what? Your emotions will deny him. Your circumstances will deny him. The things around you will deny him. And the whole challenge of your life from cradle to grave, from beginning to end, will be choosing to believe that everything he says about himself is true. Now, why would I go there? Because what we're about to talk about is the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 20. He just talked about what if Christ never was resurrected. What if? Then he starts verse 20 with, "But But the fact is that Christ the Messiah has been raised from the dead, and he became the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep in death." The fact is, let's start with the truth. Let's start with the facts. He is risen. And by the way, uh, he became is not in the original language. They just stuck that in there. He is the fruit of those who have fallen asleep. Now, there are a number of things that ought to be brought out in this verse, but let's begin with uh, what Paul is referencing when he uses the term first fruits." This is actually a reference to the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. It's a reference to Passover. And if you go to Leviticus chapter 23, it kind of spells it out, okay? Leviticus chapter 23, look at verse 10 through 11. And it says, Tell the Israelites, When you have come into the land, the land I give you, and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheath of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest." Verse 11. And he shall wave the sheath before the Lord, that you may be accepted on the next day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it before the Lord. Now these sheaths of grain must be reaped from a common field. You're going to see a lot of pictures of Jesus in this. The sheaths of grain must be reaped from a common field. They could not have come from a specially prepared garden ...or orchard, they must come from a field that was just the same as the rest of the harvest. They had to, become, they had to come from a common field. Then it was presented to the priest as an offering... ...who made it into flour and then offered it up to God as the first fruits of the harvest. You see, the harvest could not begin until the first fruits were offered. The first fruit offering was the beginning of the harvest... And it was brought that they might be accepted. Now, do you see the parallels to the resurrection? Jesus secured our resurrection with his own. It began with him. He was the first fruits. He was the first fruit offering to God that made us acceptable and prepared us as God's harvest. He was not grown in a garden. He was resurrected from among us as the head of the whole. And you can't say he was different. That the resurrection of the body is not for us. We are of the same grain. Made acceptable to our God and destined for a physical resurrection. That's the point that Paul's making in this. Now some might say, now wait a minute, the scriptures speak of other resurrections. What about Lazarus? He was resurrected, wasn't he? Well, there is a difference between resuscitation and resurrection. And also in Colossians 1.18 and in Revelation Both of them tell us that he was the firstborn among the dead. And by the way, that word firstborn in the Greek is not an indication of an order or a number. It means supreme. It means the greatest. It means above all. Okay? That Greek word that's used there is not indicating a number. Christ's resurrection was just the beginning He is the firstborn, He is the greatest, He is the preeminent, He is the primary. And there is none other than Christ that came out of the grave with victory over death, victory over sin, victory over captivity. No one else came out of the grave that way. He was the firstborn from death. He was the first resurrection. Now we share in His resurrection, we share in His victory. He became the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep in death. I want to talk about that real quick so we don't get confused. Paul is talking about the death of the body. In Paul's day, they referred to death, the death of the body is sleep. So the soul and the spirit went to be with the Lord, but the body did not. 2 Corinthians 5, 8. You all have heard this read at funerals. And it says, yes, we have a confident and hope and a hopeful courage. And are pleased, rather, to be away from home, out of the body, and be at home with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. Now, we got to remember this. The body stays. The death of the body is not the death of the person. It's hard to realize that when you're wearing one, isn't it? Christ's resurrection changed everything for the believer. We never die. But our bodies undergo the process of planting and harvest. That's the way you have to look at it. Your body is going to go through the process of planting and harvest. When we die, we await the day of harvest. That is the day when our bodies will be resurrected and will be clothed with the new grain, a resurrection body. A glorious day that will be. Verses 21 and 22. For since it was through man that death came into the world, it is also through a man that the resurrection of the dead has come. For just as because of their union of nature in Adam all people die, so also by virtue of their union of nature shall all in Christ be made alive. Now, in our humanity, we're born into sin. We didn't start sinning and then became sinners. That's a common misunderstanding. We're not sinners because we sin. We're sinners because we're born that way. So in Adam, all of us... Who were born in Adam, all of us who were born in the flesh were born into sin. We, we inherited Adam's nature. But all of us who have been born in Christ inherited his nature. We are no longer sinners. We are now the fruit of the vine or the branches of the vine. We are righteous. So, what determines our state is our birth. And this is what Paul is talking about. He says, Just as all died in Adam, so all will live, made alive, shall be made alive in Christ. In our humanity, we're born into sin. Man is not inherently good. He is born in separation and made an enemy of truth. We need to begin again. We must be born again. That's what Jesus told the teacher. We have all been made alive. That is, created to live. And I like that. We're created to live because we're in Christ. Because we're in Christ, we live. Now, let's get back to that issue of truth. You have life because you're in Christ. Are there days you need to be convinced that you have life? Are there days that you don't feel like Christ is anywhere near you? I mean, could he be any nearer if you're in him? I would like to say that because my heart is in me. You are in Christ and you're near him. And the, the challenge for you every single day of your living, and it comes up every day, all day long, is to choose to believe that you are in Christ and your life is hidden in Christ. You know why the Bible uses that term hidden in Christ? It means that it's in a place that nobody else can touch. Nobody can remove it. Nobody can change your condition. To be hidden in Christ is to be held safe from anything that would take your life from you. It is literally to be in the, get this, in the secret place of Christ. That's where you are. Now, that doesn't necessarily have to affect how you live. You can choose to live like the body is life and ignore truth. But that won't put you in Adam. How about that? You can't go back and be born back into Adam. What was in Adam and what was sin has died, and what is in Christ is alive. He gave us the very life of Christ. Ephesians 2.5, I used this yesterday in a uh, wedding. But even when we were dead, slain by our own shortcomings and trespasses, He made us alive. Together in fellowship and in union with Christ. He gave us the very life of Christ himself. The same new life with which he quickened him. For it is by grace, his favor and mercy. You do not deserve that you are saved. Delivered from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation. You know what? I brought this up last week. But your salvation, that ongoing salvation you're a partaker of means that every day you're going to eat a little bit of that. In order for you to be saved moment by moment, you have to be saved from something, right? You have to be literally... What what it is is the provocation of faith where you choose to step out of this reality here into the truth of who you are in Christ and you choose to love where love doesn't seem possible. And you choose to forgive when your emotions want to be bitter. And you choose to to recognize the reality of his presence, to recognize the truth of his life, even when the things around you would deny that. You know what that is? Well, it's faith, but it's salvation. When we became partakers of his salvation, what that literally means is that we are literally participating in the salvation of Christ every day, every moment. We have a choice. Your life is a product of your union with Christ, not of your body. We will never know the end of life. Now, some people get hung up with a word on verse 22 that, where he uses all. And they want to argue for universalism. For those of you who don't know what that is, that idea that we're all going to eventually be saved. But that verse is very specific. It says, all who are in Adam die. That means you were born dead, right? And all who are in Christ live. Now, in order to live, you have to be in Christ. So that's not universalism. Look at verse 23. But each in his own rank and turn, Christ the Messiah, speaking of the resurrection, but each in his own rank and turn, Christ the Messiah is the first fruits. And those who are Christ's own will be resurrected at his his coming. So now we're back to the illustration of the harvest. There is an order that must be followed, each in his own term. Christ was the first. Then we have those who are in Christ. Guess what? If you're a believer, that's you. You are going to be resurrected. He's referring to the second coming, or what most of us know as the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a loud cry of summons, with the shout of an archangel, with the blast of the trumpet of God, and those who have departed this life in Christ will rise first. Now, when that happens, faith will become sight. Everything that God is is imploring you to believe about Him and about life, which is in fact a reality now, will become plain then. But did you know that the victory of this life is not in embracing what is real to you? The victory of this life is to embrace by faith what God says is real. It's a choice. And i got to tell you, the enemy does everything he can do to distract you from making that choice. He does everything he can do to make this life more real to you than the life of Christ within you. That's really the objective of the enemy. And you know what? He can make this life more real to you by you losing your job. He can make this life more real to you by you getting sick. He'll he'll make this life more real to you by rejection and hurts and pain. And when you go through those things, you immediately reach out to God. It's interesting to me that when we have a national tragedy, those people who haven't darkened a church house door, don't even know where the Bible begins and ends, immediately say, well, let's all pray. Because at that point, we want to enter into a bigger truth than our circumstance, don't we? We need a Savior and we know it. What God wants for us as Christians is not that we we believe Him on that day. On that day, we'll believe. (laughs) It won't be a problem. He'll be in the sky. Everybody will be heading up towards glory. It won't be any problem to believe. But how is it affecting you right now? What do you believe about this life right now? This is the choice of faith. Christ was the first To be resurrected. And Paul's making this point. He is the first fruit of the harvest. In other words, because he was resurrected, we will be resurrected. We are the second resurrection. We shall all rise. And then faith will be made sight at that point. Now, after this resurrection starts the uh, seven years tribulation. Then we have the resurrection of the tribulation martyrs. See, there's more than one resurrection. Followed by the resurrection of the bodies of the Old Testament believers. That's in Daniel chapter 12. And then the next resurrection will be the resurrection of those who have rejected salvation. Or it's known as the resurrection of damnation. John 5, 29 says, And they shall come out. Those who have practiced doing good will come out to the resurrection of new life. And those who have done evil will be raised for judgment, raised to meet their sentence. And that's the final resurrection. And that brings us to verse 24. After that comes the end, the completion. When he delivers over the kingdom to God the Father after rendering it inoperative and abolishing every other rule and every authority and power. This is the end when every obstacle to his reign, every rule and authority is destroyed and abolished, not just put down. And that means there there are no more. The kingdom is complete and it is presented to the Father. Jesus returns the kingdom to him. And look at verse 25. For Christ must be king and reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. Now the picture here is of a conquering king literally putting his foot on the neck of his opponent, of his enemy, before he lets the sword fall. And what he's saying there is that Christ will reign for the specific purpose of returning the kingdom in such a way as God is preeminent. He will return this to God When every obstacle to truth is destroyed. Does that mean that he doesn't reign now? Of course not. The reality of it is that he has got a schedule that he's keeping. And during this time, he is allowing the enemy. He is allowing those who oppose Christ. And you know why he's allowing it? For you. For you. Well, now, I don't know if I can believe that. No. No. Who has driven you to your knees? Who has pushed you in a corner? Who has brought you to the place where you had nowhere else to go? Who has proven to you time after time after time that there is no life apart from Christ? Listen, I've told you this before. The devil is a created being spoken to existence by God himself and could leave just as easily. God's not fighting the enemy. There's no fight there. It's comparing my shoe to the ant. (laughs) there's nothing there all I got to do is step the reason the enemy is allowed to be active and the reason he's allowed the room that he's allowed is because it drives you into truth and it is a tool to mature you in truth and you can choose you can choose to believe the greater truth even in the midst of the enemy's attack in the presence of my enemies he spreads a table before me did you think the attack of the enemy was literally to starve you out? God allowed the enemy in in order to drive you towards nurture. What do you believe about life? One day he'll put his foot on the neck of all who oppose him. Verse 26. And the last enemy to be subdued and abolished is death. You know, we've become so accustomed to death that we only recognize it when something living around us dies. person dies. Your pet died. That's when we recognize death. That's when we we become obsessed with the idea of our own mortality. You know, the reality of it is that death is at work in everything around us. It's at work in your plants. (laughs) It's at work in my grass right now. (laughs) It's It's at work in relationships. It's at work in, in everything that you participate in. The specter of death hangs over. Businesses. Relationships. Death is an ongoing thing. Now, here's the contrast. You've got Christ who is life, and you've got death. There's the contrast. So, how do I bring life into my marriage, Jesus? How can there be life in in the raising of children, Jesus? How can there be life in that job, Jesus? How can there be life in sickness, Jesus, because I want to tell you that the life Jesus brings is not dependent on circumstances, it's not dependent on how you see it, or whether or not you believe it, it's like gravity. He is life. So, you know what? Death is being allowed. It's being allowed so that you, by faith, will choose life. And every time you decide that life for you is a person, place, or thing, you invite death. Live in the slow decomposition of everything you hold. If you want to see the eternal, you'll see the eternal in Christ. Christ made love eternal. Christ made peace eternal. Christ made joy eternal. Christ made relationships eternal. They don't begin and end here when they're in Christ. At all, it's all life in Him. Outside of Him, it's death So this is what I've told you many times, that if I want to know the truth of the purpose of marriage, I have to know Jesus in marriage. If I want to experience the fullness of Christ in parenting, I have to yield to Christ in parenting. Because if I go down any of those roads apart from Christ, what I have done is set up a false system Something that looks like life, but it's not. It's like artificial fruit. you ever bite into artificial fruit? that's what becomes. That's what will become of everything that you're participating in right now. And I speak not because Christ isn't life. You see, here's the thing: we're constantly praying we've talked about this in Bible study. We, we spend a lot of time praying for God to breathe life into our circumstances, don't we? We pray that God will breathe life into our bodies. We pray that God will breathe life into our circumstances, into our job, into our marriage, into all kinds of things. We're asking God to be life in those things. But I want to tell you something. He is not going to make those things life. And that's what you're praying for. What he will do is he'll be life to you. And that's why Paul could be beaten and sing praises.
0: Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road, And Blanco Woods, just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.